Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host today, Alex Kuro. And I'm your co-host today, Joey Lovato. And Alex, today we are talking about a story that you've actually been reporting on for a few months about the psychedelic drug psilocybin, or as it's better known, magic mushrooms. That's right, Joey. And while psilocybin is a Schedule One substance, meaning that the federal government has made it illegal and there is no current accepted medical use for the drug, today we're actually going to be talking about how there have been these legislative efforts that have been popping up all over the country in support of psilocybin. And that actually includes right here in Nevada where the drug is still illegal, but the legislature has asked for a working group to study how psilocybin might be used for medical purposes in the future. I'm a retired Navy SEAL, and I see personally in the SEAL community, it became obvious to me that the power of psychedelic medicine could be coming in to help here. We need the substance the psychedelic psilocybin to induce some sort of change in the brain. The thing is that it doesn't matter whether it's just for medical use or not, the cat's out of the bag and everybody's trying to do psychedelics. That was John Dalton, a retired Navy SEAL, Rochelle Hines, a neuroscientist at UNLV, and Kelsey Armeni, a researcher at Brown University. And we'll definitely be hearing from all of them a bit later. All right, Alex, so if I'm being honest, I've done a lot of reporting on other drugs, such as fentanyl, but I really don't know anything about psilocybin or why it's relevant here in Nevada, other than that there was this bill that was presented during the last legislative session about psilocybin. Sure, so let me explain what psilocybin is first. Psilocybin is a hallucinogenic substance found in certain species of wild mushrooms. And it currently falls under the umbrella of psychedelics, meaning drugs whose primary effect is to trigger non-ordinary mental states or an alleged expansion of consciousness. And on the LSD, I felt both the sensations moving through my body and I stayed with it and allowed my body to move how it wanted to as I connected to the earth beneath me and let the visual images kind of ebb and flow I could feel the trip ending and and could feel this calmness rush through my body. That was Kelsey Armeni, the researcher from Brown. She shared with me her experience while taking LSD, which is a psychedelic similar to psilocybin. And actually, there's been several people who've had similar stories while on psychedelics. And they really speak to the healing powers that some people have found while having psychedelic therapy. But on the other hand of the spectrum, law enforcement across the country and here in Nevada have made comments against the decriminalization process. During the original committee reading of the bill... My name is Lieutenant Beth Schmidt and I represent the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. Are you aware of any specific calls where... um... There was a psychotic episode that was uh, related to psilocybin or any other hallucinogens. Well, the Las Vegas Review-Journal is in the room, and they did publish a story recently. Um, We had a very, very uh, unfortunate event that occurred two weeks ago. And in that, a young man appeared at a Las Vegas hospital. He had a gunshot wound to to his face, 
and by his own admission, he told medical personnel that he was high on shrooms, which is the, the street name for psilocybin. Tragically, our investigation revealed that this man who came into the hospital, he had shot and stabbed his friend. And today, that man is sitting in CCDC. He's accused of open murder. It is likely that recreational use of psilocybin played a role in, in this incredibly tragic crime. And, and let's not forget this. The fact is there are two families without their sons today. And Senator Jeff Stone also shared his own concerns during the original committee hearing. My concern uh, is that somebody that is not as familiar with magic mushrooms, a young child, uh, gets their hands on it. Uh, and if we, we do make it quasi-legal in the state, uh, are we going to encounter some of the quality control issues that we've discussed earlier? And you even have some people fearing that with this new support for psychedelics, we could see the resurrection of some of the more sinister, cult-like behavior we saw happening in the 60s. Kelsey had her own experience with this. I was in the psychedelic therapy community that was like a cult. There was a leader and he was very controlling and it was all about him. And if you tried to say anything you know, against him, you were in really big trouble. The 60s ended with Charles Manson, right? And Charles Manson was a psychedelic cult. This morning, convicted murderer Leslie Van Houten, one of Charles Manson's most famous followers, is out of prison. Van Houten was released to parole supervision on Tuesday in Los Angeles. Yeah, and this is relevant today, too. You know, um, Leslie Van Houten was one of the Manson murderers. Those murders happened in the late 60s. And she was released from prison in July after serving 54 years. And she admitted that she was high on LSD. Yeah, Joey, it is something to think about. And with so many headlines and people interested in these types of psychedelic drugs, I'm actually super excited to explore how these positives and negatives could impact Nevadans by uncovering the research, history, and legalization efforts of psilocybin, both nationally and in our state. So we've touched on a little bit of the pros and cons of psychedelics at the beginning. But I need to know, because I saw all the dangers of fentanyl during my reporting, is psilocybin safe? Is it harmful? Is it dangerous? Things like opioids and fentanyl, which you reported on earlier this year, have left a huge amount of death in their wake. But there isn't this same social outcry and crisis of death and addiction with psilocybin. Instead, there are groups advocating for the use of psilocybin in medical research in order to help people who struggle with things such as addiction, anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Okay, so I have heard about this, actually. Isn't there like a national campaign to decriminalize mushrooms for medical and therapeutic purposes? Yeah, so senators on both sides of the political spectrum, including Dan Crenshaw and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, are actually coming together and proposing federal legislation that would promote and fund psychedelic research at places such as John Hopkins. And in states such as Oregon, which opened its first legal psilocybin clinic this year, we can see those efforts are already leading into different phases of decriminalization of the drug. In fact, the issue is a bit more personal now, with Senate Bill 242 being introduced this legislative session in Nevada. The bill initially aimed to decriminalize the drug before it was converted into a study. But to be clear here, in Nevada, psilocybin possession is still illegal and punishable by prison time and fines. 
So I remember following this bill a little bit. I, I didn't really read too much of it, but I do remember hearing, especially towards the end of the session, how much this bill changed uh, before it made it to Governor Joe Lombardo's desk in June. But before we get to that, can you explain to me how people are using magic mushrooms? So people ingest psilocybin in the form of eating the mushrooms or brewing them into tea or tinctures. And depending on the dose a person takes, the drug can have a different effect on the system. For example, some people take only microdoses of the drug, while others take a full macrodose. I talked with Kate Cotter about this. She's a leader in advocating for psychedelic medicines in Nevada. Sometimes people say microdosing when they mean a mini dose, but technically speaking, a microdose is considered subthreshold or subperceptual. So generally, this falls in the 0.1 to 0.3 gram category. It is relative to the person's tolerance, and it generally equates to about 10% of what would be considered like a flood dose or a full macrodose. There's not a lot of research out on microdosing. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence to support that it helps with mood and creativity. According to a study done by Harvard University, microdosing does not induce hallucinations or an altered state of consciousness and is said to improve mood and promote self-reflection and self-actualization without some of the more major risks associated with a full trip. I personally have had profound healing from it. Okay, so Nevada lawmakers passed a bill to study mushrooms and psilocybin, but not for recreational use, right? They're looking at it for possible medical use after more research is done. So it's not like we're talking about people using the drugs for a fun time or for, say, like a good trip in the woods. These are closely monitored and scientific studies that want to understand how the drug can affect the brain and body in order to find uses for it that help people recover from certain disorders and conditions. Okay, so that's what the end goal of this bill is then. Don't some people already use this legally? Psilocybin is used for many different purposes. And like Kate referred to, people credit the substance for profound healing. Researchers believe its use might date back as far as 9,000 century BC. Indigenous groups in places such as Mexico and Central America use the drug today as a central part of their spiritual rituals and practices. In fact, certain churches claim federal exemptions for the legal use of other psychedelic drugs such as ayahuasca and peyote for religious purposes. Okay, so if psilocybin becomes legal to research here, is this a similar situation to marijuana where it's technically still illegal federally, but it's legal within the state? Kind of. Although we are talking about two very different drugs here. Although both are known ethnogens or compounds found in the natural world, the chemical components are actually pretty different. THC is a psychoactive compound found in marijuana, and while it does have effects on things like mood and memory similar to psilocybin, and although the effects of both drugs can vary widely, THC does not induce hallucinations. And according to the Drug Policy Alliance, the marijuana high lasts for a shorter amount of time than the psilocybin high. Okay, so because of all of this, we are at a much different point with psilocybin then we are with marijuana, right? Which marijuana has already been approved for recreational use in like 23 states. That is right, Joey. And actually, at this point, state governments aren't even looking into legalizing psilocybin for recreational purposes. I talked to Scott Rutledge about this. He is a Nevada lobbyist who played a central role in the Nevada legislature's bill to study psychedelics. They're completely different compounds, right? 
cannabis has a tremendous amount of plasticity in terms of people use it daily. And it's something that you can't really compare in terms of how people would use psychedelics. Maybe some people microdose or what have you. But the point is, we have to approach this completely different. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. But are there any other harmful side effects to taking psilocybin? Despite the medical and spiritual uses of psilocybin, it can also be dangerous. According to a psilocybin study in 1993, 62% of users reported having a bad trip that they equated to one of the most challenging experiences of their lives. And some people report psychotic states and panic associated with taking the drug. For people with mental health conditions like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, it can worsen their mental state, although there really is not enough research into the substance to have any conclusive data. Also, with new decriminalization efforts, there have been several reports of sexual abuse that have taken place during clinical trial sessions of psychedelic therapy. Kelsey, the researcher from Brown University, talked about this. The work that I primarily do now is working with people who have been harmed by psychedelic facilitators because there is people being sexually assaulted. Any kind of abuse that you can think of is happening because people are vulnerable. They want healing so bad and psychedelics are being kind of blown up by the media as this miracle cure. While Kelsey cautioned blind faith in this new psychedelic craze, she also wanted to highlight the benefits that could come out of research into psilocybin. I mean, psychedelics changed my life dramatically and like is so powerful and so beautiful and will definitely change the way that we do mental health. Only if we can create these systems and structures that are safe for everybody. Kelsey is from Colorado, where deprioritization and decriminalization for therapeutic use of drugs like psilocybin has already gone into effect through a ballot measure passed in 2022. Nevada is looking at how we could structure something similar in the future. SB 242 was proposed by Democratic Senator Rochelle Wynne as a bill to decriminalize the use of psilocybin for medical purposes in Nevada. My name is Rochelle Wynne, and I proudly represent Senate District 3, um, and I'm here to present Senate Bill 242. And um, I think this is, I just want to acknowledge and thank the chair um, and this committee for taking the time to hear this. I think this is the first time that we have discussed this topic in the state. Okay, Alex, so while you were talking, I did a little bit of research and I saw that this bill was quickly downgraded from a bill about decriminalizing mushrooms and it was amended into a measure that would require the Department of Health and Human Services to form a psychedelic medicine working group to look into things like ethnogens, medical therapeutics, and improved wellness. Ethnogens, in this case, refer specifically to psilocybin and psilocin, the natural chemical compounds found in mushrooms that make them psychoactive. The measure was signed into law by Governor Joe Lombardo on June 12th. I talked with Scott, who played a big part in the formation of this working group. So when the bill was first proposed, it was almost like a placeholder, if you will, for the conversation that needed to take place, which was going out and talking to all of these legislators about what we're trying to accomplish. As I learned from Scott, the working group is asking for the collaboration of Nevada's most relevant parties in psilocybin practice. That way, they can produce data and a possible framework for decriminalization in the future. And all that research will be done during the 2023-2024 interim, 
and is supposed to be reported back to the legislature before December 24, 2024. One of the members is Dustin Hines, a neuroscientist at UNLV who studies the serotonin effects of psilocybin on the brain. I think the intent in the initial bill was well-placed to help heal in Nevada. I think that's really where we need to go. We're in a mental health crisis in Nevada, and this is a possible way to roll it out. I think that the amendment's allowed to put a container and say, like, how will we help people? Who will we help? Dustin and his wife, Rochelle Hines, who we heard from at the beginning of the show and who is also a neuroscientist at UNLV, both study how serotonin works. Serotonin is a complex chemical found in the brain that is responsible for many different functions, including regulating mood, and it is often associated with happiness. Rochelle Hines really sees a connection between serotonin, psychedelics like psilocybin, and certain areas of the brain that are affected by things like depression and PTSD. I'm really interested in how substances that influence our behavior change our brain. And so substances like psychedelics are moving into the forefront because they have these incredible effects for psychiatric disorders. And the aspect that I'm very deeply interested in is understanding really on a cellular and molecular level what these substances are doing in the brain. And here's Dustin again, Rochelle Hines' husband. I'm really interested in psychedelics because they have this propensity to really modulate all of the circuits in the brain. And they've already been proven to be really efficacious at treating things like PTSD, some substance use disorders, some depression, some anxiety. And truthfully, I was probably a little skeptical when we first went in, but the data were just remarkable. Okay, Alex, so we've talked about how there aren't a ton of studies into psilocybin, but I've seen several studies, and the studies that I've seen have shown the positive effects of psychedelic therapy on the brain of people who have suffered from certain psychiatric disorders like PTSD, like we mentioned earlier. Yeah, so PTSD occurs when the brain communicates a certain experienced trauma on repeat, keeping someone in a constant state of fight or flight in which certain triggers can sort of make the brain stuck in the traumatic event and the body can't really regulate its emotions very well. What psychedelic substances do in the brain of someone with a condition like PTSD is introduce behavioral flexibility, which means these drugs are somehow able to rewire networks of communication in the brain and introduce a new way of thinking that can sometimes get people, for lack of a better term, unstuck. Here's Dustin Hines, the UNLV researcher. There's people with trauma that literally don't know they've had trauma. I know that's hard for us without trauma to think about. And for the first time, when they go into some of these psychedelic-assisted therapies, the trauma is unveiled to them in every detail that they've been repressing. Rochelle Hines also agrees with this, but says that things like talk therapy are also very important to include when taking psilocybin. It's also really supportive that some sort of container where there's talk therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy, integration therapy in the period afterward, that's also really important because just making the brain labile to change probably isn't going to be enough. There may need to be supports in place to help people work through and solidify those changes. And if you think about the case where somebody has had trauma and they're still in that abusive or detrimental environment, it doesn't make sense to cure the trauma and then send them back. In fact, things could go worse in, in that situation at some level. I think those are things that we're really interested in figuring out and finding out. 
I have anxiety personally. I kind of struggled with depression. So I also think that's why I'm very interested in this. I really appreciate you sharing that. And something that's come out, I'm going to steal uh, one of the senator's lines is that you need to heal loudly. And I think that by understanding people's own individual needs, giving the people who have that very specific subset of needs, the psychedelics, I think we're going to see amazing changes, like curative changes. We've heard a lot from these researchers that are really pro psilocybin research. But did you talk to anyone who has been involved in any of the trials or that has experienced any sort of positive effect from using mushrooms? Yeah, so John Dalton is a veteran and a retired Navy SEAL, who we hear from at the top of the show. And he's seen some real personal benefits from using psychedelic medicines to help him with his PTSD. That's why I decided to be a part of this and dedicate my life to trying to get these medicines readily available for not just veterans, but also first responders who suffered just as bad. And of course, you know, all Nevadans and all Americans, Nevada ranks just about dead last in mental health in the United States with 330 million people, 25% have diagnosed mental health disorders. So there's a lot of people that can benefit. Veterans face many obstacles when it comes to access to mental health care providers in Nevada. And as John explained, there is a huge mental health care crisis in this country. According to Mental Health America, Nevada ranks 42nd in the nation for adult mental health, meaning the state has relatively high rates of mental illness and relatively low access to care. That is why many people, including veterans, first responders, activists, spiritual leaders, indigenous councils, scientists, psychologists, psychiatrists, and lawmakers came together in Nevada this legislative session to talk about the mental health benefits of psilocybin and the positive change a working group could have for Nevadans in the future. Okay, so you just had a lot of groups that were in favor of pushing this forward, but this isn't a unanimously loved bill, right? The bill that became law was significantly different from the original version. So yeah, Joey, there is definitely an opposing voice to all of this. And four senators actually voted against the final version of the bill, including Republican Senator Lisa Krasner, who voiced concerns about the dangers of any type of legalization of psychedelics. And Scott, who was lobbying on behalf of creating a working group, was also against the first version of the bill, which would have broadly decriminalized psilocybin. If you ask law enforcement, and this was part of the public record, people are not getting arrested for psychedelics. And it's not something that's being prosecuted. And when it does show up, it's usually part of some larger bust related to multiple things. So we're not trying to solve for that problem right now in terms of decriminalizing psychedelics, nor do we need to. Okay, so I feel like I understand a bit more about why people want these studies to happen in the state. This isn't actually the first time that these studies of psychedelics have been done, right? Yeah, Joey, there is a long history of psilocybin use in the U.S. And... Where all of this magic mushroom stuff is really said to have begun was in the 1950s, when R. Gordon Wasson came upon psilocybin while traveling through Mexico to study mushrooms in 1955. It was in the Oaxaca region of southern Mexico that Wasson came across the Mazatec peoples, an indigenous group of people that actually used psilocybin in their shamanic sessions. Yeah, Alex. And so now that you mention it, I do recall reading a story about R. Gordon Wasson, who actually betrayed the trust of those Mazatec people in Mexico by widely publishing an article about what had previously been a secretive and was also a sacred practice 
which has now been overrun by Western tourism, which is depleting the Mazatec economy. Yeah, Joey, and this research is actually being led by Mexican anthropologist Sari Piña Lacatra, who I actually have been talking to while working on this story. Sari told me that after spending five years conducting field research along the Mazatec peoples, she was able to show the relationship between how tourists coming to the region are actually exploiting the native populations, both economically and spiritually. And this sort of historic exploitation of native peoples has led to the debate today between activist groups like Decrim Nature, who are fighting to have all drugs legalized, and groups like the Native Coalition, which wants to protect psilocybin and peyote from what they call colonial psychedelia, or the mainstream use of psychedelics. MAPS, or the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Medicines, held a conference in June. And at this conference, the Native Coalition group protested decriminalization of psychedelics. Here's Kelsey again, the Colorado native and researcher at Brown. In Colorado with legislation, there was a lot of tension because the people who were writing the bill were being funded by all of these backers from all over the country. And they were not listening to local native peoples who were specifically saying, hey, we need certain kinds of protections. Like we're not okay with what you're trying to do. And so I think sometimes we forget that our psychedelic culture actually has all of these roots in patriarchal, colonial, capitalistic endeavors. One thing researchers are worried about in the future are these tensions we're seeing in other states causing issues here in Nevada, which is why Native representation was a requirement for the working group created by SB 242. Okay, Alex, so we've talked a lot about both the benefits and the drawbacks of this new legislation uh, we're seeing happen. But what does this mean for Nevada? Well, Joey, it should be very interesting to look towards the future and see how the passing of SB 242 will shape the framework of decriminalization of drugs like psilocybin in Nevada in the future. But one thing that most people involved are looking out for is how to get all of the actors that are involved into this to actually work together. Rochelle Hines sees this as one of the main hurdles we're going to be seeing as we look to the future. The way to put it simply is that in every situation we have stakeholders, but the stakeholders here are pretty polarized from one another in some ways. And so it's just a matter of making sure that all of those people can work together to figure out how to actually make this successful. Scott, The Nevada lobbyist feels that the working group created with SB 242 is the logical next step for the state. So that's why we said a working group is really the the most responsible way to proceed. I think where we landed was the result of a very comprehensive set of conversations with stakeholders. And it's why in the last hearing in a policy committee on this bill, you saw UNR, UNLV, the State Sheriff's Association, Metro, 
and multiple other entities show up at the table and support that bill who were either in opposition or had not spoken on behalf of it prior. And Kate, the psychedelic expert, feels similarly about the new working group created with SB 242. I am filled with so much gratitude and respect for Senator Rochelle Wynn and all of the co-sponsors, the many that came on board who were initially skeptical, and this huge bipartisan effort that has come together in what we were expecting, you know, to be an incremental process, and this is just a landmark moment. And here's what Dustin Hines had to say. What I think nobody disagrees with is that these are super powerful, efficacious medicines. And I think that's the focus of everyone. John Dalton, the retired Navy SEAL, says his perspective on the substance has changed over the years. Two years ago, when I was very negative about this medicine, I thought some kids walking out in the woods, some hippie medicine. I absolutely did not believe in the potential that this medicine had until I got to know it and understand this whole culture and then look at the neuroscience behind it. I think most Nevadans will believe the same thing once they see it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. Today's episode was reported and produced by me, Alex Kuro, with additional help from Joey Lovato. We also had help from Michelle Rendells, Elizabeth Thompson, and Hallie Bernstein-Sailor. If you have any comments or questions about this story or want to pitch us anything, you can reach me at alexandra at Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. And we'll talk to you next week.